If you have your own Bible or would like to take one from the pew in front of you or under you, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 28, and like John Calvin, after being out of Geneva for three years, we will pick up where we left off. Now, before I read the text, let me tell you two or three things to look for. Sometimes it helps to know in advance what's here so we see it. Keep in mind the definition of faith from back in verse 1 of this chapter. You remember it? You can look at it. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So whenever it says, by faith such and such happened, it means by a deep assurance in things hoped for, it happened. Okay, so always substitute that for by faith when you read it in this chapter. There are four acts of faith that we're going to read about here. One of them is the act of Moses' parents, and three of them are the acts of Moses. And each of them, you should be looking for how hope or how faith, which is the assurance of things hoped for, brought about these acts of faith. Another thing you could be aware of is that these verses cover 80 years from Moses' birth to the Exodus. And the last thing you could be aware of is that every one of them describe moments of tremendous stress and crisis in the life of Moses or his parents. I stress this because I think God wants us from this text to learn how to handle crisis and stress by faith. Stress is the kind of thing that when you feel it, you're knotted up inside and you don't sleep very well and your mind doesn't hold a linear thought pattern very well but tends to bounce around and be jittery and it's hard to get your emotional bearings. Stress and crisis is a great warrior against us. It's the sort of thing that Dane and Miriam Hansen experienced when they had to leave Albania and the sort of thing Steve and Julie experienced, Anderson, when they had to leave Congo, the sort of thing the Deckers experienced when they had to leave Liberia, and the sorts of things many of you right now, because of various crises in your life, are experiencing. Now, I think we're ready to read it. Starting at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict, which was that the baby should be killed. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, here we are 40 years later, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing, rather, to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of the Christ, the Messiah, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. 
By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Forty years later, by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them. Father in heaven, I ask for your help now as we open these verses that you would do a corresponding opening of hearts so that the open text and the open heart would meet in a conflagration of love to Christ and faith and that behaviors that flow from faith would be love manifest in tremendous counter-cultural lifestyles and great boldness as in a parade tomorrow or perhaps a visit we must make this afternoon or a phone call or an apology we must make that great things would inflame because of an open heart by the Holy Spirit and an open text by the Holy Spirit. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Four crisis points in Moses' life. And the point is that faith makes the crucial difference in each of these four points. So let's just take them one at a time. We will not look at the last one. I dealt with that at the table. So we'll only look at three. The first one is a crisis at the birth of Moses. And it has to do with his parents hiding him in verse 23. Now the situation you remember is that uh, the king of Egypt became fearful that there were so many baby boys being born to the Jews and the numbers were great and these were good workers and who knows what might happen if they became too many. And so he said, kill the boys, leave the girls alone. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every Jewish son who is born you shall cast into the Nile, and every daughter you shall leave alive. Now notice, there are two threats here, not just one. This is very crucial, because if you see only one threat, you won't understand this verse. It's a very perplexing verse in one sense. Verse 23. Here are the two threats. The first threat is to the children. Kill them, he says. If there's a baby boy born, make sure you find him and throw him in the Nile so that we can deplete the population here of Jewish boys. Now, that's the first threat. The second threat is implicit. This is a command from King Pharaoh... And if you disobey this command, you're in big trouble. Pharaohs didn't give commands to be flaunted or ignored. Therefore, it's a threat against the parents. If you don't obey this command, you're in trouble. Okay? So you got a threat to babies, and you got a threat to parents who try to save babies. Now, that's crucial. If you don't get that, this verse will make no sense. Let's read it. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents 
because they saw he was a beautiful or a goodly child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, I can imagine someone saying, well, of course they were afraid or they wouldn't have hit him. They would have just carried him around on their shoulder, nursed him in public. They're afraid. They're hiding the baby. What do you mean, verse 23, that they're not afraid of the king's edict? Now, that's the problem. Without which, you won't have a, you won't have a solution for that unless you understand there are two threats in this text. There's a threat to the baby... And there's a threat to parents who save babies. So what does it mean? They hid their son because they were not afraid of the king's edict. I take it to mean that they were afraid for the baby and therefore they hid the baby. They weren't afraid for themselves, and therefore they risked their lives for the baby. That's my interpretation of this verse. That the thing they didn't fear was for themselves. There wasn't a kind of privatistic, self-seeking dependence on comfort, pleasure, safety, security mentality in the parents of Moses. They looked the fearful threat of Pharaoh right in the face and said to themselves, perhaps to each other, we will not be governed by the fear of this man's threat. And we will do whatever we can to save our baby. Now, the point of the text is that this courage, this risking of your life, was by faith. That's the point. By faith, Moses was hidden because they were not afraid. You get it? If you just collapse the verse down into its essential components, by faith, they risked their lives because they weren't afraid. So faith delivers from fear for your life. How does it do that? Verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Meaning, as they contemplated the danger. Now we're talking mega stress, child rearing here. As they contemplate the fact that one cry from this baby, one passing stranger, and not only is his Throat slit or drowned. Ours is, too. This is stress, folks. You don't sleep well for these three months. You get up quick when the baby does that. And that's okay. That's okay. Sorry, Laura. Or was that Laura? When, when that happens, you wake up and you think, we're dead. Now, how do you get the courage or the peace to even survive for three months? And the answer is, by the assurance of things hoped for. 
I hope you get the message of this chapter, this book, that the way to live the Christian life is to have values, to have a God, to have spiritual reality, to have heaven, to have forgiveness, to have a hope future that is so stunningly certain, so stunningly satisfying, so all need meeting that you can sleep for those three months with that little baby, knowing that at any time, all of you could be killed. That's what faith is meant for. Now, that's the main point of verse 23. Here's a minor point, which almost became main as I thought about it, because it was something I hadn't seen before, and new things tend to dominate in your mind. It's a point that those of you in this room, and there are hundreds of you, who right now and for a long time want to live on the cutting edge. The last thing you want to do is just settle in to the standard, comfortable American way, believing every advertisement that you hear and making every strategy to make sure life is unruffled and easy until you die. That's not the way most of you in this room want to live. You want to live on the cutting edge where there are if necessary in God's call, risks and dangers and crises and great needs, even if you have to borrow some from others, which is what we just sang about. Did you hear that? Can I borrow your crises when I'm okay? Did you did you mean that? When I don't have a crisis, can I have some of yours, please? Many of you know that. I watch you. I watch you do that week in and week out, borrowing other people's crises and lessening their loads, and I love it. Well, you want to live like that. This, this sub-point I want to make here is a point of realism and balance. As George Verwer would say, balance. Moses' parents risked their lives by not killing the baby. But they hid the baby. They did not carry the baby outside. You get that? There's a, there's a moment of realism here. Get, you need to hear this. Those of you who are prone to jump off bridges because God said he will not allow his holy one to bruise his heel. You need to know that there's a realism in the Bible. Yes, they risked their lives by not doing what the Pharaoh said, but they hid the baby. They didn't flaunt the baby. We've got a baby. And I can imagine someone saying, that's not real faith. If they had real faith, they'd just go on with life as usual. They'd carry the baby outside. They'd trust God. They'd trust God. They wouldn't use human ingenuity and hide the baby. You ever heard anybody say that to anybody? Moses' parents... Live by faith, according to the text. Well, what do you say to somebody who says, um, that's not faith. That's human ingenuity using human brain power and human strategies to protect a baby instead of trusting God. What do you say to somebody like that? Here's what I say. Read the Bible. And read it carefully. Read it carefully. Read all of it. 
Don't pick out your little favorite radical texts. I'm talking myself here, okay? Let's relieve some of you. Don't just pick out your favorite little radical texts. Read the realistic texts. They hid the baby. Now, here's the application. Following God's call to work with AIDS patients is an act of risk-taking faith and wearing rubber gloves during the procedures is God-given faithful wisdom. Or, choosing at God's call to live in a rough neighborhood is an act of risk-taking faith and buying deadbolts is an act of God-given realistic wisdom. Or, hearing and following God's call to take your children to Guinea or Tanzania or Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan is an act of risk-taking, God-given faith. But giving them vaccinations and taking the mefloquine and all that stuff is probably a reasonable corresponding act to hiding the baby. Now, here's the point. Here's the minor point, which we probably need to hear. The life of faith in the real world is complex. And that's why the Apostle Paul relentlessly and unwaveringly prayed for all the saints, according to Colossians 1.9, that God would fill you with spiritual wisdom and understanding that you might lead a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. Which ones, Paul? That ever bother you? I'm a pastor. I have 500 possible good works any day I could do. Well, let's just say 5,000. Because take this eight or 900 people here and multiply it by how many needs each of you've got. And I could get in your life. I could call you all on the telephone. Which ones, oh Lord? Which ones? Now, here's a conviction I have. I do not believe it is standard operating procedure for the Almighty to answer that question in dreams, words of knowledge, or skywriting. And the reason I don't is not that he can't, nor that he doesn't, but that he taught us that spiritual wisdom is normative. And therefore, the battling of your way through this afternoon of who you're going to call, who you're going to visit, who you're going to pray for, and the 10,000 possibilities of good deeds, the battling of your way through to the ones that God means for you to do will be battling with agonizing prayer, biblical saturation, self-mortification, and above all, faith, being assured of good things that you hope for. That is standard operating procedure for whether you hide the baby or not. And I want to warn those of you who are prone to ask God to tell you by a miraculous revelation 
about those things. Those of you who are prone to do that for everything, you need to be careful because you might go insane. And you might hear voices that are not God. And you know from our track record together, I believe God speaks. And I believe there are words that come at remarkably opportune times when you need them. And I believe in the miraculous. But I believe normal, standard, Christian operating procedure as to whether you should visit somebody this afternoon or not is not to hear a voice, but to weep in prayer over your hard-heartedness and to saturate your mind with Scripture and to renounce your self-centeredness and to look to the reward and then to do what you see as wise to do. That's the minor point that feels major. Now, I want to make a jump with you. I want to jump over 80 years instead of 40 years to verse 27 and come back to verses 24 to 26. And the reason is this. Verse 27 is more perplexing than verse 23. And its solution lies in understanding what we have just said about verse 23. Okay? So let's go to verse 27. We're... uh, Way down the line now, and the situation is that uh, Moses began to... I'm, I'm sorry, I said 80. It's, still, it's 40 years still in verse 27. 80 is the next one. Moses is getting very uncomfortable with his present situation in the palace of Pharaoh. He knows... You, you know the story that he is, his mother brought him up in a most wonderful act of providence where God allowed the mother to have him even after they found him in the bulrushes. So he knows his faith. He knows he's a Jew. He knows his mother. He knows his sister. He knows his people. He knows they're being abused and beat up. And he begins to feel very bad about this. And in chapter 2 of Exodus, where the story is told, in verse 14... One day, it just gets the best of him. And he's walking down the road, and he sees an Egyptian slave master beating on a Jewish slave. And Moses says, it's a crisis. I believe it's a mega crisis that this author exploits to the full. Who am I? Who is my God? Who are my people? Where do I stand? On whose side am I? Where do I live? What are my values? And I hope some of you come to that crisis this morning. And he looked at that moment and something broke inside Moses that would define the rest of his life. He intervened and he killed the Egyptian. And the next day, he finds out that the word is abroad. And he's afraid. He's afraid. Exodus 2.14 Then Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. And the next verse, 15 of Exodus 2, says, When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh 
and settled in the land of Midian. Problem. Mega problem. You see the problem in verse 27? Is Moses afraid and leaving out of fear, or is he not? It's like asking, were his parents afraid when they hid the baby, or weren't they? Verse 27 says, by faith Moses left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king. You've got to see the parallel here to verse 23. Otherwise, you're just going to take this and say, this is a blatant contradiction to Exodus 2.14. Exodus 2.14 says, he was afraid. Hebrews 11.27 says, he left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king. So you see the similarity between the two cases. They're not exactly the same. Moses left Egypt out of fear. Or didn't he leave Egypt out of fear? Did the parents hide the baby out of fear? Or didn't they hide the baby out of fear? Verse 23 says they didn't do it out of fear. And verse 27 says he didn't leave Egypt out of fear. And we know in both cases that they did fear. And so you've got to make distinctions. You've got to be careful. This author is not dumb. If there's any lesson that the writer, that we should get from the writer, reading this writer to the Hebrews, is that he knows his Old Testament. I mean, this whole book is written by a masterful interpreter of the Old Testament. He was not ignorant of Exodus 2.14. He was interpreting Exodus 2.14 and preventing us from misconstruing Exodus 2.14 as though fear were the rock-bottom issue in Moses' life. And this writer knew it wasn't because he had seen something earlier. He had seen something earlier. Now, the solution with the parents is this. They were not fearing for themselves. They were risking their own lives. They were fearing for the baby and therefore they are hiding the baby. That... That's not hard to see. What about Moses? It's a little different here because he did save his life by leaving Egypt. He ran. By faith, he left Egypt. However, the verse says, not fearing the wrath of the king. What's the key? The key is in the word Endured in verse 27. Your version may have persevered. Let me read it and show you what I mean. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. Or, for he persevered as seeing him who is unseen. In other words, this writer is saying that it wasn't basically fear that drove him out of Egypt. It was basically endurance that drove him out of Egypt.
Endurance in what? Perseverance in what? We got, whenever you hear the word endure, this is an unusual word. It's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. This persevering, enduring word raises this question. When you persevere or endure, it implies you've made some choices about a path that you're on and there's some threats to get you off of it and you reject the threats and you stay on it. That's endurance, right? So that's what he's talking about here. When Moses heard the threats of Pharaoh, knew that his murder had been found out, this writer says it wasn't fear that caused him to go to Midian. It was endurance. Now, in what? And now we go back to verses 24 and 26. Because what this writer saw in this break in Moses' life, this crisis where he intervened and killed the Egyptian, this writer saw a stunning change midlife for Moses. So let's read it. Verse 24. This is describing the path chosen on which he endured when he left Egypt. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, that happened at some point where it broke. And it got fleshed out in that intervention in the squabble between the Egyptian and the Jew. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, there's the chosen path, to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now there is a chosen path here. It's expressed in two ways. Number one, in verse 25, he says, I choose ill treatment with the people of God over the passing pleasures of Egypt. Secondly, verse 26, I choose to be reproached for the Messiah over the inheritance of the treasures of Egypt. Now, don't miss this. This choice was made before the threat of Pharaoh to kill him. That's absolutely crucial. This choice was made, and that's why the texts are ordered the way they are, this choice was made, I embrace suffering, I embrace reproach, I reject the palace, I reject Pharaoh, I reject riches, I reject passing pleasures of sin. I am on a new course with God and with the people of God. That happened in the heart of Moses before the threat came, I'm going to kill you. Now that's what this writer is thinking when he says, okay, like any other human being, when he hears that the Pharaoh is after him, his heart will beat faster, his palms will get sweaty, his mind will become disjointed, and he will wonder, what shall I do? This Bible writer is not denying that those things happened. What he's denying is, 
that Moses became a selfish, self-preserving, comfort-seeking, security-grabbing person and simply got out of there to save his skin. And the reason this writer wants to assert that is because of what he saw in verses 24 and 26. That something had happened in Moses' life. And therefore, he said, Moses endured in this lifestyle choice that he had made. Sure, there were all kinds of emotional upheaval, just like the parents of Moses had unbelievable emotional upheavals when they were hiding their baby. But they looked that threat right in the face and said, your threat to me is not going to govern my life. Fear is not going to govern my values. Where I live, what I do for a living, how I raise my kids, I'm not going to let fear be the scriptwriter of my life. That's what his parents said when they hid the baby. And that's what Moses said. That's the point here. They said, when Moses left Egypt, sure he was in the midst of upheaval, he didn't want to be killed, but he was driven by values that are described in verses 24 to 26 that he did not forsake. Wasn't any perfect man, as we'll see, as you can see in the rest of his story. But he had he had made a choice. He had gotten on a road, or the word that came to me as my in, in the in the language that I was pondering was before he burned the bridges between him and Egypt. Geographically, he had already burned them in his heart. That's, that's what I want you to leave with this morning. Faith, brothers and sisters, is mainly a falling in love with the reward, with God, with all that He promises to be for us in Jesus, so that bridges are burned in our heart between God and sin. So that when crises come in our lives and the emotions of fear and all kinds of stress just threaten to take us over and we look back to safety, the bridge is burnt. It's gone. There's no turning back. I do believe that at this moment Moses could have saved his life. I I ran this through my brain like this. I think Moses could have heard Pharaoh is out to get you because you killed an Egyptian. I think he should he could have gone to his stepmother, Pharaoh's daughter, and said, get me an appointment with the king. He's misunderstood. You go with me. So they walk in the presence of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's eyes are glazed. You traitor. I always knew this would happen, raising a Jew in my court. And he says, wait a minute. Listen, I know these people. You're making a stupid mistake by beating them. We'll never get the bricks we need. We never get the straw we need if you treat them like that. I know how to treat Jews. I'm a Jew. Of course I'd knock this guy off. I didn't mean to kill him, which wasn't true. But I think he would have lied. I knocked this guy off. I didn't mean to kill him. I just meant to get him off the guy. You can't do it this way. Now give me a break. I've never let you down. I've grown up in this court. I know all the wisdom and I know how to maximize slavery from Jews. I think he could have done that real easy. 
pull it off. And he didn't do it. He kept on his course. He had burnt the bridges back to Egypt, and he was out of there to see what God would do over the next 40 years. So I close with this exhortation. Let's be like Moses this morning, okay? Let's be like Moses. Let's look at the reward of God's promises. Verse 26, look at the reward of God's promises. Let's look at the God who is unseen. Verse 27, you see, Moses is doing this. He's looking away from the present circumstance to the reward and to the God who is unseen. And let's be so hungry. I hope this book will help you. Let's be so hungry for God that bridges are burned to a thousand sins in your life and a thousand fears.